This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. So good to have you all with us. Uh, another exciting episode. Richard, it's good to see you. Always good to see you, Sam. Uh, we do this every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, we make no uh, we make no uh, attempts to be regular in our <laughs> in our. Let's uh, not get too personal here, yeah. Sam. <laughs> uh, in our attempts to um, to do these uh, biographies and something that we love and we know that our listeners love, but we like to dive into these leaders, uh, past and present, mostly past though. I think. Yeah. In fact, I think they're all past, but we'll maybe eventually get to a contemporary leader, but. Uh, um, this week we're looking at uh, Jonathan Edwards. Um, yeah, and uh, an you know, OG. And, uh, I uh, and I actually was up in speaking in Wisconsin uh, this past week and uh, ran into one of our listeners, Mark Millman. I'll give a shout out to him, and right, he was yeah, plugging Mark. the podcast and it was all caught up and and he mentioned how much he enjoyed uh, the biography. So Mark, thanks for that. That inspired me to come back and pull a biography off my shelf and. Uh, Make sure that I we, we didn't get any farther behind on those. So Good. Well, always I, love I running into listeners and that identify themselves and then plug it plug the podcast in front of a whole audience. Yeah, we, listeners we that that, that, <laughs> that appreciate it too. Yeah, that's, we like that's, those. That's, that's a, an extra <laughs> an extra bonus. Well, I'll refrain from any uh, cheese jokes about Wisconsin and <laughs> and we'll just move right along here with uh, the biography of. Um, Jonathan Edwards. Why don't you first tell us uh, what what what's your source material you're pulling yeah. from? Yeah, well, I've got two biographies actually that I have on him. One is by Ian Murray called Jonathan Edwards: A New Biography, and I read that one first, and it's pretty good. Ian Murray has done a couple of uh, of books like that, biographies, and then after that, uh, I read one by George Marsden and uh, on Jonathan Edwards: A Life. And that's the one I really kind of based a lot of this out on. I think it, this one came out in about 2003. Uh, George Marsden is a highly esteemed uh, historian, and so kind of had to read that when, when that came out. And Edwards is, of course, like all these biographies, a complex individual. Um, we just haven't found one yet that, it, that has his act all together in every part of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always flaws, there's always struggles, there's always a past, there's a strained relationship with a the father, there's just stuff that people have to overcome. Yeah. And, and I, 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 as I've shared before, I like that because it, it tells me that uh, you, don't, you, you don't just become a great leader simply if, you, if you're lucky enough to be born into a life that doesn't have a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, typically, great leaders have to overcome all kinds of adversity. Um, it's never just straightforward. Yeah. Uh, there's always nagging issues that they might struggle with their whole life, but, uh, but they manage to overcome those at least long enough to be able to make a significant contribution. Well, you know, and it's, we, I think we, we often get the Sunday school version of a lot of these leaders, Yeah, you know, it's like they did this, you know, Edward sinners in the hands of an angry God and okay, he's a great preacher or whatever. And, uh, the reality is much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, several things about Edwards. One, he's born in 1703. And, uh, you know, uh, Sam, when you hear 1703, who else immediately comes to mind that was born in that year? Oh, well, I'd, I'd have to say Washington, for sure. <laughs> well, don't be too sure. <laughs> uh, 
uh, actually, it's there's. I, I read an interesting study one time. Significant people. Significant. That, was a, that was a very yeah, pivotal year. Significant year. For births. Yeah. Well, uh, Many people were born that you year. You know, it's interesting because around that time, uh, there was a lot of kind of... Uh, very secular uh, philosophical views that were being promoted by some people that were not Christians. And there were a lot of people in the church going into the 18th century that uh, were quite concerned about young people and the drift away from uh, biblical teaching and lifestyles and so on. And then in 1703, Three interesting people are born. One is Edwards, who, of course, is going to be a part of the Great Awakening, First Great Awakening in America. Um, Another person born also in 1703 is Gilbert Tennant, who is going to be a Presbyterian minister in America that will be also very involved in the First Great Awakening. Um, And he will be, uh, along with Edwards, two of the giants in the First Great Awakening in America. And then also in 1703, John Wesley is born. And he's going to start the whole Wesleyan revival in England. And so, you know, in 1703, you've got three babies crawling around in the church nursery, and all the adults are worried about what's happening with the young people. And they have no idea that three giants of revival and spiritual awakening have been born and are destined to have a huge impact on uh, America mm. and Britain. And of course, uh, Whitfield a couple years later after that. Uh, and, uh, and so it's always interesting to me, especially when you see several of these people born the same year, same age, uh, all with a heart for revival. And so Edwards is one of those. And he comes from a line of... Um, of ministers. His father is a minister. Uh, his uh, father-in-law uh, and, gr- and his grand his grandfather is a, minister, a, a dominant minister. Uh, a lot of lot of ministers up his family tree and down his family tree. Um, in fact, uh, Edwards they've traced his uh, lineage. He had about eleven kids, and uh, through his direct heirs, there were several uh, vice presidents, uh, or at least one vice president of America, actually Aaron Burr, who kills Alexander Hamilton in a duel, was Edward's grandson. Hmm. And uh, a bunch of college presidents of Princeton and other places, uh, lots of congressmen and, and government leaders. Uh, there's been studies of just uh, the, the the descendants, the lineage that comes out of Edwards. Uh, and it, there's just something to be said, I, I think, of uh, a spiritual legacy. When, of course, Edwards, uh, with his 11 kids, um, they would have devotions at every meal, not just at breakfast or dinner, but mm. every meal they sat down, he would have devotions with them. And he agonized over... Uh, the the walk with God that each of his children had. In fact, he had George Whitfield, probably the greatest preacher of that day, stay at his home, and he would have Whitfield talk to his daughters to help make sure that they were all saved. And um, and so he's a uh, he's Edwards is a he's a scholar um, with very high standards. His father. Uh, was one of these guys that just had the strictest of standards for his own personal conduct, for his son's conduct. And as a minister, he expected that Christians would behave in a certain way and, and very high standards. Um, and that that created something of a conflict for Edwards because 
he adopted that in, in his own lifestyle. He was a very, very disciplined person. He, he would typically, on a typical day, would spend about 13 hours a day in his study, just reading, studying, writing. He felt like the most important thing he could do for his people in his church was to present uh, the best presentation and teaching of truth and insight. And so um, his wife, Sarah, basically kind of ran the, the farm and took care of all the kids and uh, but it, but he was very disciplined. So like every day he would spend an hour each day just playing with his kids. And um, he had 11, so he had to kind of spread it around. But uh, yeah, we get to devote much time. To each. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but obviously they adored him and and he was very close to them. And uh, and Edwards was in many ways he was kind of he was awkward around people. Uh, he led with his mind. He led with his insight and could have made a great lawyer. Uh, he would, in his sermons, uh, you know, of course, maybe the most famous sermon preached in America is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which he preached uh, in a, uh, a meeting in Enfield, Enfield uh, at a certain point trying to uh, stir up revival. And uh, but but Edwards was bookish, scholarly, academic. Uh, George Whitfield was a, a born actor. He he was very dramatic and had a very powerful voice and and appealed to emotion. Edward Whitfield would at some point weep in just about every one of his sermons. Uh, Edwards tended to stay close to his manuscript. He didn't necessarily read all of his sermons, but he typically for years had a manuscript that he tried to stay pretty close to because he presented a very sort of a compelling argument. If you listen to Edwards preach, I mean, he just step by step, just logically demolished all of your objections and presented overwhelming case for why you needed to believe this or do that. And, um, and so he didn't, didn't have a real strong voice. He wasn't really a strong person physically, uh, he just sat at his desk all the time and, um, and read and studied. And so, uh, but he, but he could build a case in that, that particular sermon, uh, when he starts talking about, uh, that basically it's only by the grace of God that we're not all in hell right now. And that it, it, it's God's grace and mercy that keeps us there long enough for us to, come to a decision and, and choose him and, and experience salvation. And so he, the, the interesting thing is that he kind of builds that case. And what he's trying to say is God and his grace, he's trying to be positive. <laughs> he's trying to, yeah. he's trying to get the, his listeners to the point where they realize, oh, well, I'm so fortunate that God has mercifully kept me around this long and give me a chance to make a wise decision. But but when he preached that sermon the first time, people just came unglued. They they began weeping and howling and falling to the ground, uh, sobbing in fear of uh, their impending judgment. And uh, he never finished the sermon. He never. I don't think he ever got to the positive part because they were so overwhelmed by wow. uh, what's what stood before them. And so. Um, but Edwards was one of these guys that the big problem back, uh, before the first great awakening was that, um, he was a congregationalist and they had, you know, the different denominations all wrestled with what to do with baptism. Of course, the Catholic church baptized babies and that was considered part of how you 
gave grace to to people. The first way was by baptizing babies, and then by uh, participating in all seven of the sacraments, as they called them. Uh, you God would ex- give His grace to you. But but when the different uh, Protestant denominations began, uh, each one had to say, "Well, what does?" So what does baptism mean, and so on, and and how do you know when you're actually born again? Uh, in the Catholic Church, just once you were inside the church, you were you were saved. But uh, the Congregationalists realized, well, no, you can you could theoretically be a church member and not be born again. They were very Calvinistic and said, uh, you you have to be elect. God has to have chosen you, and if He hasn't, then there's nothing you can do to elect yourself. And so uh, even Edwards. Uh, well, his father had had very strict standards to say, uh, how do you know if someone is actually a Christian or not? What's the evidence? And that was the big debate. Uh, yeah, you were when you were a baby, you were baptized, but you live like the devil now. So there's, there's no evidence that you're elect, that you're yeah. chosen. And so uh, Edward's father uh, had basically had a very tough standard to say no if you're if you're a child of god if you're of the elect you're going to act in a holy manner and a holy lifestyle and so on and uh and so edwards ultimately kind of adopted that interestingly his grandfather um uh, stoddard was was pastoring one of the most prominent churches in massachusetts uh in northampton and uh he was a a much more popular kind of speaker or preacher and and they they all had this problem because in the congregational church you would be baptized as a baby but then when you became an adult uh you would be admitted in as a church member and 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 so the the big dilemma was well some of these people were baptized but they don't act very christian and now they want to be a church member and um, should we let them in? I mean, how do we decide? Who who are we to say whether God has chosen them or not? Um, is, is there not any fruit or evidence of that? And uh, so Edward's grandfather had basically kind of said, well, let's just, at least if we let them join the church and take communion, uh, they'll be exposed to the gospel even more and they'll be around the grace of God and that'll be good for them. Um, and so he kind of, lesson lightened the standard uh but edwards in his upbringing was no you should tighten the standard so interestingly stoddard ultimately brought edwards on to be his associate when when his grandfather was in his 80s and once he died edwards was called to be the pastor and so in his most famous pastorate he takes over for a grandfather that was pretty loosey-goosey on some of the standards and, and now edwards wants to tighten them up uh, and uh, and so that's going to be very interesting. It, it, it led to a couple of revivals, uh, the First Great Awakening, and interestingly enough, um, it begins with young people. And we've talked about this before, how a lot of the revivals in world history tend to start with young people, not old people. And a couple of young people connected to their youth and to the, the, the youth of that city uh, died suddenly. Mm. Just, uh, you know, very, very inexplicably, in one case, a young person just dies. And it shocks all the young people. And they realize how tenuous life is. And yeah. uh, 
And so a revival uh, begins among them in which hundreds of young people ultimately join the church. And so with Edwards, what's going to happen is that um, there's going to be seasons of revival, kind of like a harvest time where uh, there might have been like he might have gone three years and not had one person join the church. And then all of a sudden there'll be this movement of the spirit of God. And all of a sudden there'll be hundreds of people joining in. And Mm -hmm. so Edwards has seen this and he, he basically um, begins to think that the revivals are the harvest times. And so you just keep preaching and teaching, but you wait for the the breakthrough times uh, when they come. And so he's going to experience a couple of those. The first great awakening of course is uh, quite famous. The first real awakening to take place back in about 1730s and forties uh, there'll be another uh, revival that happens in the 1740s. And it's interesting, uh, most of the Great Awakenings revivals will happen within a generation of a major war, like uh, the Revolutionary War or the Civil War or, or World War I. Um, they all tend to happen within a generation. So many of the converts of an awakening end up dying on a battlefield. Mm. But... Um, but he, uh, he, Edwards begins to write about what he observes, and he gets criticized because, of course, there's people that see people wailing. And, of course, th- these people were very Calvinistic, and so the Calvinist uh, theology said that God elects some to salvation and not others. And so if you're not elect, it doesn't matter. And, and and you may really want to be saved. You might really want to be a Christian. But if you haven't been chosen, there's nothing you can do to be saved. Your, your, your name's not in the book. And so some of these people would be terribly convicted of their sin, and they would want to be forgiven of their sin, but they would have no peace. Uh, and they assume that must mean I'm not elect, I'm destined to hell, there's not a thing I can do about it. And sometimes there would even be a wave of suicides afterward where people would Hmm. be so distraught that they were headed to hell that they would kill themselves. Um, And so uh, Edwards is trying to write uh, to people to say, well, how can you tell if someone is actually born again? And what's the evidence? And what's the evidence of true revival? And, And some of the things he writes become Christian classics that will will be read around the world by Christian leaders because he sees, he sits in the front row and sees what real revival and awakening looks like. And of course he gets criticized for all the excesses and uh, the emotionalism and, and he's not that emotional of a guy himself. And so he'll, um, he'll write and say, well, yeah, well, I mean, falling on the ground and wailing at the top of your lungs is not evidence that you've been saved. It, it That's emotionalism. But a transformed character, a godliness, you know, obedience to God's word. He, he's trying to identify how can you know if someone truly is uh, converted or revived. And uh, some of his observations, even hundreds of years later, still are read and studied. And, and he, he's a Puritan, and Puritans had a way of just analyzing things, I would say to death, but I mean, they... They dug deep and they yeah. really thought about stuff. And a lot of it is quite practical. It's a lot of it is how how do we live? Um, and so you know by uh, by by his writing, uh, by being by his preaching, especially sinners in the hands of an angry God, 
um, by his uh, descendants that go into politics and into all kinds of different uh, uh, leadership roles, by his friendship with people like George Whitfield, and also David Brainerd, who became a very famous missionary to the Indians. He dies at a young age. But uh, as he's quite sick and dying of exposure and so on from his harsh travels, he uh, spends quite a bit of time at the Edwards house. And uh, Jonathan Edwards actually writes a, a little biography about him afterward that is used to inspire missionaries for years and years afterward about being inspired by this godly young man that gave his life for the cause of Christ. So he is a person that just in many different ways uh, exerts a huge influence. And we've said this before, but one of the greatest ways you can influence people is through your thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always encourage leaders, hey, put, put your, what, whatever God's teaching you, be sure you put it down in writing, whether it's just a, a tweet, a, a blog, or a book, but uh, don't just keep it to yourself. Don't just keep it to the pe- your direct reports. Whatever it is that God's teaching you, get it out there in a way that um, can be widespread, because in the long run, that may have a, a bigger, broader influence than just uh, the organization that you led directly yourself. Richard and Daniel Blackaby will be at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove on May 17th and 19th, 2021. The title of this event is On the Move, How God Increases Your Spiritual Influence. You can find out more and register at thecove.org. Links will also be in the show notes. Well, Richard, it's always fascinating looking at uh, these leaders from from history and kind of seeing them in their context and uh, seeing what, what's going on around them and how they lead and, and difficulty and different circumstances. And, and Edwards is really no different than a lot of the, yeah. the leaders we've looked at before. So maybe in the time we have left here, why don't you just uh, unpack a little bit of, of his career um, that takes a turn that, you know, maybe we, we wouldn't expect. Like, you know, he's doing well, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's writing, he's thinking a lot, and yeah. things would, are happening. And You would think if you were in his church, you'd think, wow, we've got this world-famous uh, pastor, uh, religious leaders around the world admire him. He's uh, a friend of George Whitfield and people like that. But uh, he begins to just feel very conscientious about his flock and to say, I, as their pastor, I've got to make sure that uh, that they are born again. And if we admit someone into the church membership, we, we need to make sure that we know that they are a born again church member. So he actually goes for a period where there's a couple, maybe three years where nobody uh, applies to, jo- to join the church. And then finally he has someone that applies. And so now Edwards is ready to give this guy a test to say, well, before we just automatically accept you into membership, mm-hmm. here's some questions I have for your conduct, your lifestyle, your, your obedience to God's commands and so on. And uh, if you, if, if you uh, enthusiastically embrace this kind of, godly lifestyle, well, then clearly you're of the elect. Well, one of, the, one of Edward's problems, which is a challenge for a, a lot of leaders, is uh, a lot of leaders have a high standard for themselves. They may be very driven, uh, very task-oriented, very ambitious, goal-oriented. And the problem sometimes is that they put their personal standards as the standard for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so people just aren't going to measure up. Uh, a lot of them are just not wired the way the leader is. And so Edwards basically takes and says, well, if I were living this way, which I strive to do, then that would convince me that I was saved. So 
who else is as godly as I am and hmm. and uh, as serious about God as I am? And he puts that standard up against um, the first applicant to the church membership in over three years. And the guy turns it down and says, yeah, I can't live like that. Even Jesus wasn't that holy. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, this becomes a cause for, the, for some enemies of his in the church to rise up and say, he's just so demanding and he has unrealistic expectations for people and he's just judgmental and we, nobody's perfect. And one thing leads to another until finally the church gets to the place of actually having a vote whether to dismiss Edwards or not, and they do. Uh, they, they vote to basically to fire him. And, uh, and Edwards is one of these guys, you look back later and you realize he's one of the greatest minds to come out of the 18th century America. But at the time, as so often happens with leaders, the, the people that lived with them at the time didn't appreciate what they had. Yeah. Uh, they don't realize that this guy's brilliant and we're so fortunate to be preached to every week by someone that knows God's word and studies it so thoroughly. Um, and so he gets fired. And uh, the, the interesting thing is there's a couple of people in particular that really led in that. And it's clear that they just were done with him and wanted him out. And and one of Edward's problems is that he's just a kind of a not he's just sort of a, an aloof, private, bookish kind of academic pastor. And he he's awkward around people. I mean, not around his own family, but he's not big into small talk and uh doesn't know how just to joke around. It's all serious with him. And so people don't necessarily, I mean, he had some very close friends, but even George Whitfield, it's funny, George Whitfield ad admired him and respected his uh, intelligence, his godliness. But uh, Marsden says that Whitfield actually got much closer to Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't even a Christian, was a deist. But yeah. they, they, would, they rode frequently and, and enjoyed each other's company. Um, whereas Whitfield, uh, uh, Edwards at one point took Whitfield aside and kind of corrected him on a few things he thought were a little excessive and, and ought to show a bit more moderation. And he said, oh, I wasn't sure Whitfield was all that receptive to my counsel to him. Uh, and, and, and Edwards probably had a point, but he just came across a little preaching. Yeah. And so Whitfield admired him, but they just, he just wasn't the kind of guy you got very close to. Hmm. And which says as a leader... There's just times where it's not enough just to, you know, casting the vision and, and driving performance. There's just a certain point you got to let your hair down and just have fun with your peeps, you know, and just be, just be with them and enjoy them. And, and Edwards couldn't do that. And so eventually he actually gets fired. And the guy that really pushed it later will write a letter after Edward's death, write a letter and say that he basically he was wrong, that he that Edwards did not deserve to be fired that they just, it was, they acted unkindly and ridiculously, and they'll admit that they were wrong. But yeah. it, but by then, Edwards is gone and, and dead. But uh, And so interestingly, Edwards is relieved of being pastor, but uh, but they still ask him to do pulpit supply for the next almost a year. He's, he's filling in preaching in a church that just fired him. That's going to be, be an awkward uh, uh, year. Yeah. And uh, I think he's still in the parsonage for a while uh, until they get another pastor. And Edwards often was broke. And so he's, and he's got 11 kids. So 
I think he yeah, preached because he needed the money, you know. Yeah. And uh, but a lot of the people that fired him and they wouldn't even come here and preach. And so finally they make a motion saying we can't have him preach anymore. We fired him. We need to cut ties with him. And so he he immediately gets offers around the world. Uh, there's a church in Scotland that would love to have him come and be their pastor. There's churches in Virginia extend a call. But for various reasons, he ends up taking a church out with where the Native Indian, Amer- Native American Indians are, and it's it's wild frontier. It's Stockbridge, Massachusetts, um, and literally they are right on the frontier. A bunch of Mohican Indians and others around there, and uh, they there are uh, dan- there, there's fears of of uprisings. And they actually have to stockade even the house that Edwards lives in as a mm. as a as a basically a a defensive fort if they need it to be. Uh, and his daughters are worried about him living out there where they could be ambushed and killed. And I mean, it's it's very rough. For about six seven years, he's out there, and everyone is thinking this is the scholarly guy. He's he'll go from there to becoming the president of Princeton University. But he's out there worrying about being, you know, murdered in his sleep by marauding uh, Native Indian bands, and uh, but in those, and, and he has to preach now through an interpreter to the, the Indians, and um, so it's very, uh, very primitive. You just never think someone part of the first Great Awakening. Now he's reduced to mission work on the on the wild frontier, uh, but for about seven years he's there. Uh, but of course, because he's out in the frontier, away from civilization. He's got time to write and time to think, and he kind of enjoys that. And he yeah. ends up writing several of his best books, uh, most thoughtful books. It's interesting. What you would look at, like Satan kind of had a victory with him, ends up putting him in a place where he's got time now to write some of his best stuff. Hmm. And so eventually his son-in-law is the, pr- the president of Princeton, and he dies prematurely. Uh, his son-in-law married to one of his daughters, and so he, so Princeton approaches him and says, "Would you take your son-in-law's place and become president of Princeton?" And so he ultimately takes that on, which is really a perfect kind of job for him. He's suited, certainly, in terms of the academics and so on, and investing in the students. And he gets there, and and Edwards has always been really interested in uh, science and so on, and advances in medicine and other things. And so they're kind of promoting uh, smallpox vaccinations at the time. And he wants to set an example for all the students that you don't need to be afraid of vaccines and so on. And uh, so he and his family goes down and, uh, and gets the vaccine. Well, his wife and kids recover from it fairly quickly, but he actually developed smallpox <laughs> as a result of the vaccine. And dies from it uh, a week or so later. Wow! And so sadly, know you know, and again, it's not that he had smallpox; it's he gets it from the vaccine, uh, and dies from the very thing that he's taking to prevent himself from getting it. Of course, the irony of all that. Uh, and so he dies at a relatively young age; he's only fifty-four years old, uh, never in great health. Uh, but uh, again, you look at a guy in so many ways; he had so many quirks about him. Uh, super, super uh, disciplined and spiritual in some ways. Uh, you look at and say, how could this guy ever really be much of a leader? Gets fired from the one church that he really pastored and knew well. Uh, you look at the trajectory of his life and say, kind of a disappointing life in some ways. And yet he leaves behind a body of some of the most brilliant thought to come out of 18th century America, still 
impressive to this day. And uh, a famous sermon, at, and to be part, a spark plug of the First Great Awakening, uh, certainly no small feat for any yeah. person. And so again, a, a person coming out of America, a lot of people have said that Benjamin Franklin kind of symbolizes the pre-revolutionary America, but um, in many ways, uh, Jonathan Edwards does. Uh, and you have to ask yourself, why did America become such a hotbed of evangelical faith and uh, Puritan work ethic and other things? Uh, and much of that came out of the teaching and theology of Edwards. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it left a lasting impression upon America uh, that even to this day is still, you can still feel the impact. Well, fascinating life, character, and leadership. And uh, we'll leave links to the two biographies that you used yeah. that we've talked about on, on today's show. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.